Welcome back to the Esoteric News Briefs, your source for the mysterious, the paranormal, and the weird. Tonight, we have 16th century Black Mirror, football sorcery, and ancient dick temples. Without further ado, let's get started. In May of 2021, Czech archaeologists announced the find of a 1,400-year-old fragment of cow bone. While this is not terribly significant in itself, what they found inscribed upon the cow bone is. Before I get into what was found, we need to look at the history of the area. It has long been believed that the Slavic people of the Czech Republic did not have a system of writing until the late Iron Age. This actually led to a massive bias against them even as late as the 20th century, when Hitler viewed them as an inferior peoples, equating them with Jews due to their ignorance. Yes, he was using something that happened 1,000 years ago to justify their extermination. Continuing with this fragment of cow bone, we find that the Slavic people did in fact have access to written language. They were utilizing the text of their neighbors, the Germanic tribes. This fragment of cow bone is inscribed with a series of runes, specifically the Elder Futhark. After radiocarbon dating the bone, it is estimated that this was inscribed around the year 600 AD. More importantly, this was not a typical rune carving in which a message is relayed or a person's name is placed upon a personal object. This artifact, while still fragmented, seems to have been a learning aid. It was a visual aid used to learn the alphabet. Quote, if we Czechs have a culture, it must never be said that we have it from the Germans, but it must be said that we have it in spite of the Germans, wrote Stanislav Jehoda in a discussion on the find. No sport has a larger worldwide following than soccer, or football for my international listeners. African teams take the sport to a whole new level, often incorporating magic and sorcery into their games in order to gain an advantage over their opponents. In Nigeria, in the year 2000, a player stole a charm from the goal of a rival team, and it is believed that it allowed them to score the two extra points that won them the match. In 2002, a player was arrested by riot police for placing a charm on the pitch before the game. In 2015, in a viral video, Ghana player Andre Ayu was seen sprinkling white powder onto the field before a match. This powder was believed to be muti, a powerful magical dust used in some African magical practices. It didn't really help, though, as Ghana still lost the game. In Rwanda, the striker of a losing team was caught on camera running to the opposing goal and leaning an object against the post. He and the goalkeeper had a bit of a scuffle, and the striker was fined 100,000 francs. The Rwandan Football Association threatened higher penalties on anyone caught using witchcraft to influence the outcome of a match. Despite all of this, very few African teams have made it into international competition. In fact, the use of charms and magic has made so little impact outside of Africa that most organizations don't even acknowledge the practice in their rules and bylaws. While witchcraft in sports is largely innocuous, 
the practice does have a dark side in large parts of Africa. In Ghana, Professor John Azuma is working with Parliament and local authorities to prevent abuse of accusations of witchcraft and to assist the reintegration of individuals who have been placed into witch camps. These camps are largely comprised of women and are similar to Western insane asylums of the early 20th century, where mentally handicapped, defiant, or sometimes just nonconformist women were forced. Some of these camps are reported to have abuse, sexual assaults, and their members being used for forced labor. Conversely, these camps are sometimes a haven for women who have been forced from abusive homes or villages. Oftentimes, these women bond over shared experiences, building a home and family of their own within these camps. Gender Minister Sarah Adwoa is quoted as saying, If I am given the nod, what I will first do is engage and visit some of these camps and engage with these alleged witches. I will further engage the traditional authorities and opinion leaders in those areas to get a very clear picture of what, indeed, ought to be done. That is not to say that the ministry hasn't done anything. I chanced upon some documents which indicated that in Gambaga Witch Camp, for instance, there are 600 inmates. When they were engaged, only one was prepared to come back home. So I believe in rebranding of these camps because, as far as the women of these camps are concerned, they have found families in these camps, and so I will engage them. Attempts to withdraw these women have proven difficult in the past. That is why I believe that another and novel approach to dealing with the matter will be more prudent. End quote. In related news, an international alliance of African nations and academics from Lancaster University have successfully petitioned the United Nations Council to pass a resolution against accusations of and abuses attributed to witchcraft. In particular, this group aimed to prevent the murder and assault of people afflicted with albinism, whose body parts are heavily valued in the black market black magic. This group first brought their research to the council in 2017, demonstrating atrocities across the globe against the elderly, the infirm, and the disabled, almost all of whom were women. Ikpunwosa Aero added, quote, The resolution carefully balances protecting the human rights of those accused of witchcraft and victims of ritual attacks, while also protecting traditional healers, along with the religious, indigenous, and cultural beliefs and practices that do not amount to harmful practices as defined by UN bodies. Gary Foxcroft is quoted as saying, The UN Special Resolution is an important step in helping to stop the often horrific human rights abuses that take place due to the beliefs in witchcraft around the world. While it's a step in the right direction, Countries around the globe are encouraged to show their support for this resolution and to take steps against accusations of witchcraft and the abuse of the accused. Moving now in a completely different direction, the recent examination of Native American artifacts unearthed in 1985 has revealed that a series of turkey bones and seashells were likely the tools of an ancient tattoo artist. 
The bones were broken and shaped in a specific way so that they would hold ink. Microscopic analysis revealed pigment residue and unique wear patterns similar to those seen in experimental archaeology. The shells still had pigment stains in the recesses and cracks, causing the archaeologists to surmise that they were likely used to hold the inks used during the tattoo process. While tattoos have been found on mummified remains around the world, this collection of bones and shells are now the oldest tattoo paraphernalia ever found, dated to at least 3,600 years old. Archaeologist Emily Hallett was searching for the remains of paleo-human diets when she stumbled upon something unique in a Moroccan cave. Her team had begun to uncover bones of various fur-bearing animals that each had very specific cuts generally seen in historic skinning techniques. This implied that the animals were not just being used for food, but also for clothing. Upon further investigation of the cave, the team unearthed a treasure trove of 62 specialized bone tools used for the processing and production of leather garments. Dated between 90 and 120,000 years old, these tools are the oldest known leatherworking implements found to date. Until now, it was always presumed that ancient man wore furs to survive the Ice Age. But these tools prove that techniques for leatherworking were in use. Not to mention that it was becoming a more specialized process. We are going to pause here for a brief message about Patreon. Yes, Patreon. You hear about it on every podcast out there. But it really does help to keep content like this in production. For me, it helps pay for essentials like equipment, research material, and server costs. If you like what you hear on the Esoteric Book Club and you can afford to donate as little as $1 a month, please consider joining my Patreon. If you are able to donate larger amounts, you begin to unlock bonuses such as extra episodes, extensions to existing episodes, and shoutouts on shows. For example, Samantha Shaver has supported me pretty much since the beginning, which is why you hear her name mentioned on every single show. But I won't take up any more of your time. Let's get back to the news. John D. sounds like a pretty innocuous name, but he was in fact one of the most influential occultists in the Western world. He was the court astronomer for Queen Elizabeth I, and was instrumental in the proliferation of the use of crystals, channeling, the Enochian language, and divination, including the use of black mirrors. What exactly is a black mirror? This item is used for a specialized form of divination, or fortune-telling, where a person looks into a black, reflective surface in a dimly lit room. As their eyes blur, visions begin to form in their mind. At least, that's the principle behind it. I've never been able to get it to work. Recent studies have revealed that John Dee's black mirror is rather unique. It is wholly a product of its time and sits at the crux of a mixing of cultures. You see, John Dee's black mirror is made from Aztec obsidian. It was always presumed that it was crafted from materials whose origins were in the New World but there were no documents that could account for its provenance. The British Museum had Dee's mirror, two other mirrors of similar design, 
and a rectangular slab of obsidian in their collection analyzed, and it was found that they all came from the same place, the Aztec city of Pachuca. This city was conquered by the Spanish in 1528, one year after Dee was born. These artifacts made their way to continental Europe through the transatlantic trade, and eventually to England, where Dee would have encountered it, likely during his service as royal astronomer. Most of my listeners are probably aware that the Vikings had established settlements in North America about 500 years prior to Columbus's infamous voyage. Initially, it was reported in the Icelandic sagas, specifically in the Saga of the Greenlanders, and eventually was confirmed through archaeological finds in Newfoundland, Canada. So knowing that the Norse were in North America isn't new, but knowing the exact dates and how we came to those dates is. Previously, scientists have used radiocarbon dating to establish a time period for the site, but it only provides a rough estimate of dates. In the newest study, though, scientists use something a bit more specific, cosmic rays. Because the site was occupied by Native Americans both before and after the Norse settlement, scientists relied upon pieces of timber that specifically had tool marks that would have come from iron tools. Then, they looked at the tree rings on the remains. You see, in the year 993, there was a unique astronomical event in which the northern hemisphere was bombarded with solar flares. These solar flares left unique formations in the growth rings of historic timber. This took the form of higher than normal levels of carbon-14. Look for the tree ring with the highest levels of carbon-14, and then simply begin counting. The tree stops growing when it's cut, so the last tree ring would give you the exact year that it was felled. Testing three different pieces of wood, the scientists came up with the same date, even though each piece came from a different tree. The year 1021. Now, the settlement was around for 13 years, so it's unclear whether the trees were cut earlier or later in the settlement's history. That said, it can now be determined that the site was in use between the years 1008 and 1034. It was reported that there were several settlements, all in a single geographic region, but after warring with local tribes, called the Skraelings by the Norse, the settlements were permanently abandoned and the settlers returned to Greenland. Now that the serious stuff is out of the way, let's move on to news of the weird. This next article caught my attention mostly because the author was trying to make an edgy, clickbait title, but it ended up having some unique information anyway. I didn't expect much in the way of content when I clicked the article entitled, Rich Medieval Hipster Was Buried With His Fancy Beard Comb. Honestly, I just wanted to see a picture of this comb and be done with it. And yes, it was quite a nice comb. It was double-sided with two different sized teeth, crafted from ivory, and decorated with animal scenes. As a fellow bearded weirdo, I approve. This find was dated to about 500 AD in Bavaria, Germany. The discovery of a beard comb in this place at this time is not unusual. But then the article continued. There was also a women's grave nearby containing a rather unique red ceramic bowl. 
That doesn't sound too crazy, does it? And honestly, it's not. At least it wasn't until they tested the bowl and found out that it came from Africa. Oh, and the animals on the comb? Yeah, apparently they're gazelles. As if this weren't weird enough, the area where these two were buried? It's an ancient meteor crater. Yeah, these two uber-wealthy Germanic tribes people who were so rich that they could afford luxury goods from Africa were buried in the spot where a meteor struck. Ultimately, this is a tremendous find with a lot of intact artifacts that will give us a brilliant snapshot of this time period. But sometimes, it's the details that really make the story. In grade school, I learned about different types of carved columns used in the ancient world. They were described using three categories, Doric, Ionic, and Corinthian. Well, thanks to the ancient city of Karahan Tepe, we have a fourth, Phallic. Yep, you heard that correctly. In recent excavations, archaeologists have uncovered a series of buildings dating back to the same time period of Gobekli Tepe, roughly somewhere between the years 9500 and 8000 BCE. One building in particular had some unique columns. Dicks. They were all dicks. Eleven massive dongs held up the roof of this building whose main feature was, surprisingly enough, a large stone carving of a human head. This temple complex, rather than simply being abandoned and left to ruin, was intentionally buried. While it's uncertain why, I have roughly eleven theories. Saying that your favorite flavor is vanilla is now synonymous with being boring. But that also means that it's one of the most popular flavors and scents on the market. Enough so that the demand exceeds the production of vanilla beans. Artificial vanilla isn't new. It's been around for quite some time. A new discovery may solve two problems at once, though. How do we make more vanilla flavoring? And how do we get rid of plastic waste? What some wacky mad scientist discovered is that there is a strain of E. coli that loves terephthalic acid, the basis of modern plastics. With some quick gene splicing, it was discovered that this bacteria could convert terephthalic acid into vanillin. It sounds strange that in the near future that your ice cream could be flavored with E. coli excrement, but at least it's better than that thing with the beavers. It's been a regular talking point recently that many businesses are looking for workers. If you ever wanted a singularly unique job title, there is a new vacancy that may pique your interest. The official wizard of New Zealand. Yep, that's right. Christchurch, New Zealand has had an official wizard on its books for the past 23 years. For most of that time, he was just a quirky guy who dressed like Gandalf and served as a sort of mascot. Recently, though, he's been caught saying some rather misogynistic things, so he's been canned. If you want to fill this position, apply directly to the Prime Minister of New Zealand, and good luck. That's all I have for tonight. Esoteric Book Club can be found on Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, and at esotericbookclub.org. Links to all the articles will be posted in the show notes. And before you ask, no, there are no photos of those ancient stone columns. 
Until next time, remember, stay weird.